It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. I'm your host for the Money Guy Show. This is Brian Preston, and welcome back. And we've got a good one for you today. We're going to be talking about today is now the time to be taking risk. And how we came about this is kind of interesting is that, as most of you know, we, we kind of, you know, it's not like we have a preset schedule for the next six months of what our topics are going to be. They kind of just float our way. We, you know, we come across something that's going on in our own personal lives here at the office, and, um, and it turns into a, a podcast that you guys leave feedback on and um, kind of give us some insight. And we, it's, it's really worked out well for us. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking about is now the time to be taking risk. And I've got several ways we're going to be talking about this. As we put together some show notes where we, we go through age ranges. We're going to go all the way from age, age 20 um, all the way through to your 50s and 60s on what you need to be kind of thinking about to determine if you need to be taking on more risk. But we're also, one of the things I kind of always like to be a contrarian is you guys have heard me talk about you know, when is the time to invest? You know, look for blood in the streets. You always want to be thinking about doing the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. I, I think the average person out there just analyzing human behavior is we as human beings act like sheep. And what I mean by that, not trying to be all negative or, or mean, is just, you know, I went down to Disney World for spring break, which was just a few weeks ago. And what I noticed, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I, but I still go bring it back to show you what I'm talking about, is that when we went down to Disney World, we always tried to eat lunch every day between 11 to 11.20. We did this because every time we, we went to go have lunch, you would very quickly be able to get your lunch, would have very, very small lines to wait in, you'd be able to get the prime um, seats over at Epcot where you could actually look at the water, be by the water, and have the great views. But it always cracked me up when we left around 12.15 from having a great lunch. There would be lines out the door at all the restaurants. People would be waiting in line for 20 to, to 35 minutes, and then they'd be you know, looking around for, for seats. And it, it just cracked me up because if they'd have just come to lunch you know, 30 to 40 minutes earlier, they would have had pick of all the seats in the place. But it just shows me Human behavior is we are sheep. So we want to kind of give you some contrarian thought that, you know, instead of using this time as a time you need to go sit in the fetal position in the corner, this might be an actual great opportunity for you to kind of reevaluate where you are in life, look at your job and your career path, see if there's some changes that need to occur there, look at your investments that you're making out there to see if they kind of tie into where you are in life, and just analyzing everything as a whole to see if this might not be the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, let me double back and tell you that, once again, this is The Money Guy Show. I am your host, Brian Preston. By day, if you're brand new and just joining us, I'm actually a fee-only wealth manager down here on the south side of Atlanta. I am a certified public accountant, a certified financial planner, and then a personal financial specialist, which just means I'm a CPA that does financial planning. I'm also a registered NAPFA advisor, which is the organization that is... Um, the, the fee-only organization. So we, um, you know, I've, we've been doing this show for a number of years now, gotten a lot of attention, and um, I'm just thankful to have listeners like you out there listening. I do want to give you some quick updates of what's been going on with us. Several things. First, I want to give you a big apology. We had um, a few of you go check out our website at money-guy.com and notice that we've been talking about the, the membership section in the past, and I'm, I'm not going to be 
talking about that yet because we're still working on it. But I do want to apologize for one thing. As you guys know, we hired an outside consultant to help us put together the the premium section of the website that's still under construction. And I guess the way I'm going to look at this is after we told her all the great things we're going to be doing with the, the premium side of the website, she thought it should be $50 a month instead of $50 a year because we, we set the pricing. We told her we wanted to do in the first month for the early adopters, we wanted to set a price around $49 a year. And then over as we add more and more content, we're going to increase the price till it gets to its um, retail or normal price of $99 a year. But we're going to start it off at half price just because it's brand new. We're going to be adding content. But I apologize because a few of you emailed and were pretty upset, even threatening never to listen to me again because I was gouging um, my listeners by trying to charge $600 a year. And I can assure you that was complete miscommunication between me and the consultant. And that's it. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want you to think I'm out here pushing this because I know a lot of you are here for the free advice, the objective advice that we provide. And I want to make sure we keep that up for you to keep the, the same high quality stuff that's going on. But I did want to give um, some shout outs to, to a few people that have given us some media exposure here recently is that there's, um, there's Aaron over at Atomic Podcast. If you go to that website, I'll even get Bo to put a link out there. Uh, to Atomic Podcast. Aaron has done a complete review of our of our show, and it, she's very nice to us. And I thought she had some great things to say. Plus, Aaron is pretty witty with her writing. Um, she talks about that I have more tangents than a geometry book, which I thought um, got a little chuckle out of that because it is true. I kind of go into some sidebars quite frequently. Um, also, we had a film crew out here. Uh, time is starting to run together, but I think it was last Friday we had a film crew out here from the local ABC affiliate, that's WSB here in Atlanta, um, and the Atlanta Marketplace. They, they filmed four to five segments that they're going to be working in over the next two months to, to help on their consumer division where we're giving advice, basically what we've done on the podcast. We're going to be talking about, you know, you know the, the added pr- warranty protection on your credit cards, also, you know, bringing simple back a lot of the topics that we've discovered, you know, that we've discussed here. One of the producers I was very happy to find out was actually a fan of the podcast, found us out there on iTunes and loves us. And Patty, giving you a big shout out too, because I, I really appreciate you covering us. And um, hopefully you can get us in front of Clark Howard and other very influential people to see how far this podcast thing can go. But let's actually talk about what you came here to listen. And that's, um, is now the time to be taking risk? And I got to tell you, where this came up was is that y'all know I have an associate named Bo, and Bo helps put together these show notes. He helps work with the podcast. He helps do the website. He's kind of, um, he asked me what his title is. I'm like, you know, put on there whatever we're doing this week because I've got him wearing all kind of hats here, and it, we're, we're kind of an open architecture type firm here where um, we work in a collaborative effort where it's not very formal around here, as you can imagine. I think it's a pretty fun place to work. But one of the things that we're doing is I mentioned in the last podcast, and, and by the way, before I close out the show, I am going to read some of y'all's comments as well as some of the emails I got about the last podcast because you guys are scared to death about credit. And I, I want to talk to you about that, and, and I'll, I'll drop that in at the end of the show. But one of the things that I mentioned in last week's show was that I found – um, a bank-owned piece of property that I was that I was buying, and Bo was going to be renting it, possibly even buying it from me, at a at a, at a good price. You know, so 
we both get a win-win. I was trying to rent it to him so I could recapture some of his salary, and he's um, looking for a good deal out there, as you can imagine, with what's going on in the real estate marketplace. And one of the things that he's been contemplating is that you know if he goes out and buys something, it's a he's it's a little outside his comfort zone, like I'm sure it is when most of us go out there and make that first big purchase of a new car, a new home, whatever it is, and you're trying to figure out, is this the right decision or am I faking success? Y'all have heard me talk about faking success. I feel like some people just don't understand the concept of deferred gratification, and they go out there and, and take economic steps way before they should, and that's why they end up being um, kind of a beast of burden to debt and everything else that's that's you know sitting this huge weight on their shoulders where they can never really build that ultimate goal of financial independence because that is our ultimate goal is to build you up enough money that you don't have to work with your hands your back and even your brain you're gonna let your money do that work for you creating a small army of dollar bills out there earning your keep for you. So Bo's trying to make that decision and um, you know it kind of brought me up to remind me of when I started my businesses. You know I've got two businesses that I run. The first one was started in February of 2002 and and if a lot of you get you know if you rewind back and look at what was going on in the economy back in the early part of 2002 we had just come out of September 11th which occurred of course on September 11th of 2001 um, it seemed like a crazy, crazy time. And I can remember when I went and told my in-laws that I was leaving my good-paying job up in Atlanta, Georgia, for the largest fee-only financial planning firm in the Southeast, um, she thought I was crazy. Because my in-laws come from a background where my, fa- you know, my father-in-law has a pension from a very large utility company. Um, he's worked. He worked at that company for over 30 years. And, and they have this you know, romantic view that that's the way I think people should should do the handle you know view their career path is that you go and you get a good job and then you work there and you're you're dedicated dependable and and do all you can for for that employer but as you know times have kind of changed a little bit it's you know it's it's a lot more about how much you take care of yourself these days you you've heard about all the layoffs we know about unemployment and everything else and it's just gotten harder especially if you have quality of life issues that you don't want to sit in traffic for an hour a day driving to Atlanta, or if you want to make sure you make every t-ball game or, you know, practice for gymnastics that your children are doing, it's kind of hard if you get caught up in that rat race. And that's kind of where I was, is that I had a great job, have nothing bad to say about my former employers, but it wasn't fitting my quality of life that I was looking for after I had um, my father passed away in the latter part of 2000. So I kind of had my, my aha moment that things had to change. So I made the big jump in February of 2002, but let me tell you one thing you've got to make sure you do is that you there's a lot of risk when you start a company that you've got to make sure you saved up enough money and capital to make it work. But you also have to prepare your family and make sure you prepare yourself. And that's why you the, the, the capital portion is so crucial is because we had to save up enough money. And the way we did it was we basically... Uh, when my father passed away in December of 2000, all of 2001, we lived off my wife's salary, and that was it. And we saved every penny that I made that year. And by the end of the year, we actually had free and clear, I want to say a little over $40,000 of straight-up cash in our savings and reserves. Now, after being in business by, I would say, probably middle of 2003 to the end of 2003 when our first child was born, 
uh, we pretty much blew through all those cash reserves. So it was not an immediate success. I didn't start this company and all of a sudden have more business than I knew what to do with. So you've got to have enough capital and cash reserves to help you make it through that that drought period of starting a company. And that's exactly what you, you have to make sure you do. Is a lot of people have a lot of skill set, a lot of talent that just do not prepare for what's coming their way. And, and, and they find out that before they even can have a chance of success, they've already run out of money. That's why you see businesses and restaurants and everything else, uh, you know, fail within a few months is because obviously they weren't funded well enough to, to make sure the dream had long enough to kind of take roots and grow and, and turn into the, the successful venture that they had always hoped for. Now let's talk about where you are by age group. And, and I get excited thinking about this because what my favorite thing about the job that I do is giving, you know, small business consulting and fee-only financial planning is that I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of small business people, and I get to hear their story. And let me tell you, there is nothing better than somebody who has taken a tremendous risk at a time that might seem a little crazy to be taking tremendous risk and an outside-the-box type thinker and then watch them tell the story of it. It's very rewarding to watch people do that. And um, I can give you several stories of people who were welders, who you know were making, I, I want to say, 7 to $9 an hour, had young children, took the jump, started a, you know, a metal fabrication business. One of my best friends has since taken over his father's metal fabrication business, and um, I still love talking to his father because he is not your traditional businessman. I mean, has the Harley Davidsons, the um, you know the the big long beard. He's he's one of my favorite people in the world because he does not think in traditional terms. But he uh, you know he started a, a crazy business venture, starting a metal fabrication place, and it was hugely successful. And I still love watching him tell that story because you see that kind of glimmer of hope in his eyes when he starts talking about what it took, the hard days, that when he first started the company and he had no business and that fear kind of motivated him to go out there and get business. I also have um, a group of nurses that were just nurses all working together, and they got the idea that they really wanted to help the community out by starting a hospice facility. And um, I've been with them since I remember our very first meeting with the, this group of nurses, these five nurses, where we were um, meeting in this little shed of a, a building and talking about this big structure, this big hospice facility we're going to build in a few years, and it has grown tremendously. And now they are um, independently wealthy. They've been very successful. The community loves them. I'm actually on their foundation because they've, they've, they've been successful enough that they actually get, you know, uh, they have formed a foundation for the community to try to help out people who can't afford um, some of the hospice services as well as to help your know, relatives pay utility fee fees and everything else as well as Today I was giving scholarships out and, and reading all the applications, and it was just it, that type of stuff makes my heart just kind of leap and makes the hair stand on my stand straight up on my my arms because that's the exciting stuff. That's the payoff with taking risk, and and that's kind of a, I wanted this. To, this isn't going to be all about numbers today, but it is going to be about just how you need to go analyze your life and make sure you're doing everything you can to analyze your risk level to see if this is the time to either take more risk. So let's talk about age groups here. Let's say you're 20 to 25. You have a good job with a strong company, a well-defined career path, and, and you know that your, your earning potential is going to increase over the next five to six years 
and you don't you're you're fairly certain you don't have to worry about losing a job. You're you're kind of in a great position. You've got a, probably a lot of a lot of potential. You also have a lot of drive when you're in that 20 to 25 range. So what do you need to be thinking about when you're thinking about risk and what you need to be doing financially? And I would tell you, here's what you need to be thinking about. And are you saving 10 to 20% of your wages? You know, whatever your starting salary is, go multiply it by 10 to 20%, depending upon what obligations you have, and see if you can start saving that for the future and for a rainy day. Also, how much debt do you have? Credit cards, student loans, cars, you know, you need to be keeping that debt at a minimum right now. Because remember, before you graduated high school, college, whatever, or maybe you were in the military, you probably didn't have a tremendous amount of debt. And then you get out of college or, or, you know, wherever you were previously, don't go fake success immediately. You need to watch those debt levels because that's what can, can make you kind of a slave or a servant to that debt for many years to come. So be very careful with debt and don't fake success. Do not do it too early. Defer some of that gratification because, believe me, there's going to be a lot of things and obligations you're going to have in the coming years, so you want to be very conservative with how much debt you're taking on. You also may not want to jump at the world with both feet and try to start your own business. It's just hard. I know a lot of you are going to have a lot of great ideas, a lot of ambition, but when you're 20 to 25, it's going to be hard to start a company. Even though you may feel more than qualified and now very well educated because you've been in school for a number of years, Get out there and truly get some experience. Try to learn. Try to find you a mentor that kind of kind of show you the ropes and let you learn as much as you can. Also, make sure that you're building up an emergency reserves capital to, you know, to pay for you know engagement rings if you're a young man or if you know you need to have a down payment on a house. There's all kind of things that you need to be saving money for when you're in that 20 to 25 age range. And also, like I said, do not make sure you're not getting into too much debt too quick and you're not trying to do too go too deep with um, you know, too quickly. You don't want to you don't want to get bogged down in the quicksand because you were so ambitious, you got yourself in a hole before you realized it. Now, let's talk about somebody who's been out in the workforce for a little bit longer when they're in that 25 to 30 age range. Now, you possibly might be married, thinking about having children in a year or two, and this is kind of the age I was when I started my company, I was 28, and um, the reason that I did, I'm a planner of all angles and all things, it's really kind of sick how often I plan things, that's why I guess I'm a little on the functional OCD side, but that's what makes me a good financial planner, is that you, I was thinking about the reason to start a company when I was 28, is because I didn't have any children yet, and my wife was still working, and I knew that, um, that I had kind of a safety net there, and I didn't have too many mouths counting on what I was generating financially. So it was the perfect time because I had not bought the farm. Even though me and my wife had a house, she was still working. So if I was a failure on the business side, at least we had a backup plan. Now, it gets a lot harder after you're in deep with having children and um, obligations and you're the only breadwinner it gets much, much harder to take a dramatic change and start a company. So that's why you have to think about where you are on the risk level and what type of risk you can handle. It's not all about risk tolerance. There's also what I call risk capacity with how much can your lifestyle and your do you have time to recover for with how much risk you're taking. So, you know, and there's different variables that go into that. Your dependence, your time range, all that works with you. But if you're 25 to 30 years of age, You've um you've probably now at that point where you're, you're pretty close to having a spouse and even thinking about children, 
and you're trying to figure out if you need to make a big career change once you get into the, to this level. Remember though, if you are making a career change or you're starting about maybe branching out and starting a new business venture for yourself, it's not just you that you have to think about anymore. Now you have to think about your, your spouse as well as any children that you might already have. Um, are you now saving at this level, instead of 10 to 20%, are you saving between 15 to 20% of your wages? Do you have some cash reserves and capital to put down 20% on a new house or start a business? Remember, you've got to have capital if you go to start that company. How much additional debt will this change add to your lifestyle? Because you do not want to get debt that's more than 35% of your total income. And you need to figure out, because at this point you might already have a personal primary residence, but you need to figure out if you go sell it or stay in that, that house where you are. And I would just, the big encouragement I'd give you there is make sure you don't fake success. Don't go out there and buy something that you can't truly afford. And also, it's a good time just to take inventory of where your career is going. And is there still potential for you to have vertical movement and moving up in the organization that you had? Or have you kind of, you know, hit your peak already, even at a young age between 25 and 30 years of age? Now, once you hit that age of 30 to 40 years old, it's probably to say you're somewhat getting close to being established. And this is where I'm. I'm in my mid-30s now. I used to, I make the joke all the time that back when I started my company when I was 28 and started feeling like I was having some success around 31 to 32, that I felt like I was way ahead of the curve because I was doing, it felt like I was doing things way before a lot of my people in my peer group. Now that I've hit my mid-30s, been in business for a number of years now, um, it, it's, it's kind of been a little bit of a, um, I'm trying to think of how to put it, but it's, it's kind of been a saddening moment to me that is I feel like I'm part of the curve now instead of being ahead of the curve. Because now that you're in your mid-30s, as I said, you're probably getting pretty close to being somewhat established. You know, having your cars paid for is not that big of a deal. Paying your credit cards off monthly should be a given at this point. Because a lot of things, if you're doing it right, you, you know, you might, you're probably even saving 20% of your wages if you've really structured your life right. And, and, that, and that, why do you say 20%? Why should I save that much? You have to remember, Social Security is not what it used to be. And as I've told you guys, they're, they're anticipating by 2017, which in, a few years ago sounded like a long time away, but now that we're in 2009, 2017 doesn't sound too far off in the future. It's um, going to be paying out more than it's taking in. So those are some scary things that are going on. So you need to be putting in as close as you can to 20% of your gross wages. Also, you need to analyze how much debt you have. By this point, hopefully you've come to the point that you don't have a significant amount of debt. And if you do have debt, it's controlled debt. It's your home mortgage. It's, it's things that, like that. Then you're pretty close to being debt-free except for maybe a car loan or um, uh, you know, a, a mortgage, I mean, but you're still trying to knock out those car loans within thir 36 months so that you own cars within three years because you do not want you don't want to be stuck paying for cars five and six years at a time because you'll never own them if that's the case because um, you, you have that depreciation. You don't want to finance something over a very long time that's a depreciating asset. You also should start to be building some um, decent amount of assets. Your net worth should be growing. And hopefully you're working towards that ultimate goal of financial independence. If you have children, they're, they're getting older, you've begun to save for college or weddings. If you're like me, I've, you know, I've got my second child on the way. It's going to be another girl. So I've, first thing when they told me we were having our, our second daughter is I said, oh, great, I got two weddings to save for now. So that's, that's always something you have to think about. And if you are 
if you go start your own business, how much will it change your quality of life and family life to get this off the ground? Have you thought about whether you've already got an established network and market for you to start this thing from scratch? I mean, these are very important things you have to take into account. And then we also need to talk about diversification. Make sure that all your human capital, your investment capital, and potential isn't all at the same place. I got to tell you, I've worked with, um, I remember at the one of the previous firms I worked at, we had a lot of Lucent executives. Now, Lucent used to be a huge name out there that people talked about in the stock market. As you know, it's gone now. But we worked with, Lucent was here in Atlanta, and they had a lot of executives. And it was not unusual for me to deal with a Lucent executive at one of my previous employers where they had their work, you know, they, they had their wages coming from Lucent, but then they had their 401k loaded up with Lucent. And, and, and you can imagine when Lucent went down, what it did to them, because not only did they have the, the power of their hands, their, their brain and their back tied up with Lucent, but they, now they had their investments tied up with Lucent. It was no diversification whatsoever. So when you get into that, you're getting to that established um, period between 30 and 40 years of age, make sure you're thinking about diversification because your money is probably now getting to the stage where that compounding interest is very important as well as the diver- diversification that you're working. Now you get to the age of 40 to 50. Things should start to be getting really comfortable at this point. If you've made good financial decisions, saved what you should have, and lived below your means, you're, you're starting, to, starting to, to kind of smell how fresh the air is because you can probably start to smell that financial independence is not going to be a pipe dream anymore. You've taken the small steps. You haven't, you haven't faked success. You truly are starting to come into success. And um, now this is when, I've already mentioned it briefly, but this is when risk capacity really starts to play a significant role. If you want to start a new business at this point, you've got to figure out how much more you truly want to work and if this is really a change that you're making because you're passionate about a cause or you've got some innovation that you really want to get out there in the marketplace. And at what stage are your children at? Are they beginning to become independent? Are they still depending upon you and your spouse? I mean, these are important times. Also, retirement is coming up. Have you been saving? Have you been getting to a point where you can now begin to estimate the cash flow you're going to need in retirement? That way you can start to set a, a, a lump sum amount that you're going to need at retirement to figure out if you're doing everything you need to be doing to reach that amount based upon what's going on out there in the stock market with your investment risk. It, it all works together. This is all hand in hand. And if you're looking to purchase a second home, you need to make sure that this you know, truly fits into your cash flow situation as you're not pushing it. And then how much debt do you have? Your primary residence should start to be closer and closer to actually being yours. You're actually hoping that you own that house because that leads me right into my last segment that I want to talk about. And this doesn't mean I have you going off the earth at age 60. It just means that I think you, you know, it covers a pretty broad range of people going all the way from 20 to 60. But a few comments on the 50 to 60 year olds is that when you get to this point, the kids are getting close to being grown. Thinking about retirement is probably a number one on your priority list. And, and this is kind of the wind down phase of, you know, figuring out doesn't mean you're going to stop working. I'm one of those people that thinks I'm never going to stop working because I love what I do. But you at least want to kind of know where you sit on, on the, the goal of building true financial independence. And I would ask you, you need to start asking if you can retire comfortably and also, how close are you to being completely debt-free? I'm talking about not owing anybody a dime. Um, now, if you can hit that goal even sooner, like you hear Dave Ramsey and others talk about, that's great. But I think for a lot of people, you know, when you get into that, that your 50s, 
you need to be done with, with you know, a lot of the debt issues because you do not want to retire with any debt. You've got enough, you know, risk and um, other things to be thinking about when you retire that you do not want to have debt being one of those things. You want to you kind of be solid. So if we have another downturn like we had in 2008, you're set. You don't have to worry about it. So those are some things that you really need to be thinking about if you're talking about the different stages of life. Now, also from the contrarian standpoint, I found a great article out there on Inside CRM, and I'll get Bo to, to post a link to that. And I thought it was just kind of, you know, as I mentioned, I started my company during a down economy. It was in 2002, which was our last recession before this most recent downturn. And I, I just started thinking, well, there's got to be a lot of businesses that have done just like I have, where they've seen opportunity when everybody else just sees tragedy and all this negativity that's out there. So I found an article on Inside CRM that says 14 big businesses that started in a recession. And it was written by Sarah Carone. I think, hopefully I'm saying that. But Sarah wrote that, um, listen to these, it said, it might seem counterintuitive to start a new business when the economy is in the dumps, but a recession can actually be the ideal time for launching a company. In fact, many well-known and successful organizations were born during an economic slump. Why do these companies succeed? Usually it's because the founders recognize the market need and filled it, identifying that need, whether it's related to entertainment, travel, or even streamlining how businesses operate, is the key to any thriving enterprise. Regardless of the economic climate in which it begins, the following major corporations made it big during the recessions by doing just that. It talks about, I'm going to scan down through here, it's got Hyatt, Burger King, IHOP, the Jim Henson Company. Now, um, I don't know if Bo... Surely, Bo, do you know who Jim Henson is? Yes, I know. Okay, okay, he knows who Jim Henson is. I, I just want to make sure because, you know, this is a bigger thing when I was younger. But the Jim Henson Company was created by famed puppeteer Jim Henson in 1958. Henson's business was responsible for some of the best-known puppet characters of all time, including Miss Piggy, Kermit the Frog, and Elmo, of course. Today, the privately held company is managed by Henson's children and continue to, continues to thrive by creating popular kids-friendly shows and movies. Also, during the downturn, LexisNexis is a research hub for the law, media, and more. The company, originally a government contractor, began its LexisNexis computer, computerized legal research service during the 1973 oil cross, crisis that rocked the country into steep economic slump. The now web-based service is used in 100 countries by individuals in law, government, education, and business. Here's a big one. FedEx Corporation began operations on April 17, 1973 as Federal Express. Um, it was named Federal Express as a nod to the Federal Reserve with whom founder Frederick Smith had hoped to get a contract. He didn't get that contract, but the company that delivered 186 packages to 25 cities on its first night of operations now manages more than 7.5 million shipments every day worldwide. Did you hear that? He went from 186 packages in 25 cities, that sounds like a lot to me, to 7.5 million shipments every day. That's a lot of stuff going on. Microsoft Corporation wasn't always the jaw-dropping enterprise it is today. In 1975, when it was created by Harvard University dropout Bill Gates, Microsoft was just a company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It dealt in rudimentary computing languages and began its climb to business stardom with the success of MS-DOS, which was sold and marketed to IBM Corporation and then IBM clones. Today, the company is estimated to earn more than $60 billion in revenue per year 
and is branching into new areas. CNN might not be, and this is an Atlanta company, CNN might be a news giant now, but in a recession-plagued 1980, it was a little-known station called the Cable News Network. It revolutionized how people received information when it premiered as the first 24-hour all-cable news channel. Today, 1.5 billion people across the globe watch CNN. Here's one that I remember, which I don't know if I love the direction they've gone in, but it was when I was a kid, it was pretty cool. MTV Networks brought something new and different to the music scene when it debuted in the economic slump of 1981, intended to be an all-music video channel. It's not like that anymore now. MTV used VJs, video jockeys, to host programs and facilitate transitions between videos. Today, MTV is a global brand with dozens of shows, music-related and not. Trader Joe's, we all know Trader Joe's, started as a chain of convenience stores called Pronto Markets in the slow financial times of 1958. In 1967, the company changed its name to Trader Joe's and began to carry unique grocery items under its own brand. The company now operates more than 280 stores in the U.S. Um, I thought that um, Sports Illustrated magazine was launched on August 16, 1954, at the tail end of a recession. The magazine benefited from the fortune, fortunate timing as a boom in professional sports exploded soon after its founding. Sports Illustrated now sells about 3 million copies in the U.S. each week. General Electric. Love General Electric. Matter of fact, I just had an article I emailed over to Bo um, last night. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I get this right. It's, it, I think it's still in the research phase, but they've got a, a, a DVD disc that they're, they're still working out um, you know, the kinks with, and they're going, it's not going to make it to me and you, the consumer, for a while. It's primarily going to be used by medical um, motion picture studios and others, but they have found DVDs that can store, was it 100 times? 100 DVDs on one DVD disc. It's using some 3D technology of optical storage. It's pretty cool. So General Electric's still doing innovation. Plus, you can't help but know that with this whole push to go green, um, they are capital. You know, I've had some clients say, hey, how can we invest in green? And I always say, well, you know, instead of going out there and trying to find the one company out of 10,000 that's going to try to make money off green, why don't you just go buy General Electric since they um, make a lot of the wind turbine stuff as well as they're involved in a lot of the clean power and, and other innovations that are going to make this happen. But General Electric was established in 1876 by famed American inventor Thomas Edison. In the middle of the panic of 1873, a six-year recession, Edison created one of the best-known inventions of all time, the incandescent light bulb. In terms of market capitalization, G is now the third largest company in the world. The enterprise has evolved from a manufacturing strong business to an enterprise earning more than 50% of its revenue from its financial service division. Now, this article was written late last year, so, you know, unfortunately, that, that financial service division has also kind of dragged GE's price down. But the next one, HP, Hewlett-Packard Development Company, was um, born in Palo Alto Garage at the end of the Great Depression. The electronic company initially supported a mere, um, was supported by a mere $538 investment. It has grown into the first technology business to exceed $100 billion in revenue, earning $104 billion in 2007. It now operates in nearly every country in the world. It goes on, I'm going to close this thing out because it says, recessions haven't However, aren't advantageous only to startups. Pre-existing companies can also make incredible gains in years where the economy is, is down. Some of the most recent success stories are those of Google, PayPal, and Salesforce.com from 2000 to 2001. Each of these companies thrive, leading to PayPal to go public in 2002, 
followed by Google and Salesforce in 2004. So I thought that was an interesting article that Sarah put together in Inside CRM. Like I said, it was written at the end of 2008. Um, very, very interesting stuff. Now, I got to, um, how long have we been into this right now? But, okay, we're at 35 minutes, so I'm going to have to go through this quick. But you guys, um, it, it kind of, I thought it was very interesting, making sure I've got all my notes here, is I did a show last week on how to build your credit up, how to build your credit score. And I first got, um, and I don't know of any other way to do it than just read this, because um, I've given all the information, so those that just want the information, you can drop off for the, the, the listener side, but this is this is what I found out is um, this is an email I got from Josh. Um, Josh wrote me on April 21st. and said, "Brian, I have to admit I was a, I'm trying to do a disappointed voice by the way because this is the way this uh, I read this. I have to admit I was a little surprised and disappointed when I saw the title of your most recent podcast. I believe my immediate reaction was, "Oh Lord," followed by rolling eyes. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the show and I always find valuable information contained within the podcast that I try to use throughout my life. The anticipated letdown in knowing my dose of money, money guy talk this week was going to be in vain was quite discouraging. I've always looked forward to new episodes. As you might remember, I'm an avid Dave Ramsey fan and I'm fairly confident you're aware of his stance on credit scores and the mighty FICO. I tend to agree with Dave on this particular topic. While there are many areas which you and I both to disagree with Dave, such as using credit cards for free money and giving up the 401k match. Personally, I feel FICO has grown out of control. There is no magical formula to determine character, morals, and integrity when it comes to an individual borrowing money and his or her willingness or ability to pay it back. And since I believe debt is inherently bad, a FICO score is nothing more than a reflection of one's inability to defer gratification and spend less than they make. We live in a society that caters towards buying and buying now. Whatever happened to saving money for large purchases? Society has been brainwashed to believe that a high credit score is something sophisticated, successful, intelligent professionals have. I couldn't disagree more. In order to understand what a credit score means, you have to understand what is meant to be a reflection of, and that is quite simply, how good you are at borrowing money and paying it back. Nothing more, nothing less. If you have a low credit score, you borrow money and do a poor, poor job of paying it back. If you have a high credit score, you borrow money and pay it back under the terms of the contract. What's the common factor here? Borrowing money. Oh, Emmy, hang on. That was, that was in all caps with an exclamation. Borrowing money. It's hard to win with money by continuing going into debt. I don't buy into all the rich dead, poor dead. Uh, he says, a word, uh, he didn't say the S word, but he's, I'll say poop. About debt is a tool. There is good debt, blah, blah, blah. Debt, by definition, is something owed on an obligation. How can this be good? Why does society believe that owing something and spending money you don't have is what sophisticated people do? When people inform me that they have a high credit score, I simply scoff. You should see the surprise on their faces, followed by the inevitable question, what? You don't think having a good credit score is good? I usually congratulate the individual on owing an exorbitant amount of money to other parties. By FICO standards, it is literally impossible to have a FICO score without borrowing money. People always look so befuddled when you inform them that your credit score goes down as you pay off debt. But it makes perfect sense to me. As you pay off debt and no longer borrow money, your debt history grows stale and stagnant, effectively lowering your score. FICO can no longer estimate your ability to repay debt over time. Your score will eventually go to zero. Gasp. Say it ain't so. Rolls eyes. I don't know if I believe it goes to zero because i got some stories I can tell you about that. And that is my goal, Brian. I want FICO score of zero someday. I, want to, I don't ever want to borrow money again. 
I do not want to be a slave to the lender, as the Bible, po- Bible points out. I choose not to worship at the altar of the great FICO, as Dave suggests. I actually want to actually win with money and make it work for me as opposed to against me, as debt assuredly does. And I suppose I'm just disappointed that you disagree. Respectfully and still one of your biggest fans. So Josh gave me that, so kind of got kind of beaten up a little bit by Josh on that. And then... Um, I get, a, I get this, and I, I had to go check and make sure this wasn't Josh who wrote me this, but this came in on a comment on the site. You can go check it out if you go to money-guy.com. Here's um, from Chipper. On April 25th, he wrote, he goes, Arg. I don't know, maybe Chipper's a pirate, but it, arg. I listened to the podcast for this week and wanted to howl. Giving advice to young people about how to build your credit score, a.k.a. their debt slave score, is in my view like handing a 16-year-old boy the keys to your sports car and liquor cabinet while admonishing him to be careful. The results will in many cases be both predictable and tragic. While I realize that Mr. Preston is not always in agreement where it comes to the anti-debt philosophy such as the espoused by, that is that espoused by Mr. Dave Ramsey, I don't think you're doing your listeners much of a service by telling them how to be better debt slaves. It's unfortunate that there are so few financial commentators on the anti-debt side of the spectrum. It seems as if that part of the spectrum has been abandoned to Mr. Ramsey, which is a shame as there are parts of his plan that are not so hot so. Perhaps a future podcast could be dedicated to some realistic tips for going debt-free that haven't been discussed. While I'm not a worshiper at the uninformed, unreformed church of FICO, I recognize that we're kind of stuck dealing with the FICO cult, such as when you're getting insurance, the insurance company is going to pull your credit score and FICO score regardless. The question is, how do you deal with the FICO cult while staying out of debt as much as possible? I think Mr. Ramsey's approach of simply ignoring it is probably not the best. You know, what I thought was interesting, and I've got to, I got to tell you, I had somebody come to my defense. I'm going to talk about, um, I, 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 me, and, me and Bo were talking about this. I don't know if I'm going to get his name right, but it's, it's either Chef Rick or Sheffrick, because it's um, C-H-E-F-R-I-C-K. Um, but one of the things, when we talk about the credit scores, is that credit scores are used for your utilities, for your insurance. I mean, I, I, my insurance premiums on my house and my car, I got a $1,200 discount just because I'm in the A1 top group on credit. So um, credit is not something that is just for those who want to be slaves um, I do think it's well. Let, let me let me read what um, Sheffrick wrote, and then um, and then I'll give you my 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 kind of commentary on this. It says, "Hi, Chipper. Mr. Preston is just stating the facts. This is how credit scores work, and we all have one, whether we like it or not." I was told about this when I was 17 by my economics teacher, and I have worked to have a great credit score since. It's given me the lowest rates on a mortgage and some great credit cards with a 1.5 to 5 percent return, and those aren't APRs. Dave Ramsey, I'm a big fan. Books are designed for, as you say, debt slaves. For some people, giving them a credit line is like handing an alcoholic a drink. They just can't stop. However, for someone who can, and the can is in capital letters, control their budget, focusing on getting the best credit scores can benefit you for years and save thousands. I enjoy annual cash returns from my credit cards and great insurance rates. So I thought that was very interesting, and and, and I want to just give some some quick thoughts to this because I, I first got that email from Josh and I was like, really? I mean, I like Dave Ramsey. I like listening, but you know why I like listening to Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey's show is like, you're riding down the interstate, 
you get you have to slam on your brakes because you've hit traffic and then you know there's an accident up ahead and what do we all do when we're on the highway and we're sitting in traffic when we pull up to the the scene of the accident? we all rubberneck and look at the the car accident that's sitting over on the median or on the side of the road and hopefully everybody's all right but i'm just saying everybody rubbernecks and that's exactly what the dave ramsey show is and that's why I, I give the comment all the time. I haven't given the tagline in a while, but we go beyond common sense is that you hear these people call in to Dave and a lot of them do not live below their means. So they, they've already broken the first rule of how you have financial independence. We're trying to get you guys from point A to point B of becoming financially independent. And the first paramount thing about that is that you've got to spend less than you make. And that's why I talked about when I, even tonight, today when we were talking about how much risk can you handle, you heard on every one of those I gave you a savings goal between 10 to 20% that you need to be saving every year. Now, people who get into a tremendous amount of debt don't, don't have that discipline to do that. And that's why I think they're, they're the car accident, the train wreck, whatever you want to call them, that you're, you're yanking your neck or you're, you're turning your radio to listen to, to, to Dave Ramsey to, to hear these people to kind of hear their bad situations because it makes us all feel better. When I listen to people call in and they, they make $50,000 a year and they've got $60,000 of credit card debt and all this other debt, you, you sit there and go, what idiots? How do they do that? You know, how do they get that much debt? And, you know, and it makes you feel like, man, I'm so smart with my money. That, that's just great. And, and that's, that's what he's appealing to. His, his advice is appealing to people who have not had the discipline to defer gratification and do that. Debt, just like I said last week, is a tool. It's no different than that niche kitchen knife. Also, I'd, I'd say if you want to talk about what kills a lot of people, the automobiles that we drive around in on a day-to-day -day basis kill a lot of people. We don't go and outlaw cars just because they kill a lot of people. We all assume that a lot of us can work. Uh, you know, Thank You for Smoking, that movie I've talked about. I like that movie. It's a dark comedy. They, they, one of the taglines that he talks about when people... I'm, I don't like cigarettes, so don't, don't infer something that I'm not talking about. But I thought a great line that he used in the movie was he goes after um, the senator from Wisconsin in that, in that movie because he says, you know, if you go go after us on the smoking, let's talk about cheese because cheese causes high cholesterol and all this other stuff. You know, it's very fattening. And it's kind of the same way with debt. These are all things that in excess can be dangerous. But if you're smart, disciplined, and do what you're supposed to be doing, it can be useful. And, I, and by no means have I ever said that I am a slave to debt. I would tell some of you in all respect that I can give to you, and it cracked me up because these were two emails from two separate people that use the exact same language of talking about worship at the Church of FICO, and it's, it, they came you know, directly using the exact same verbiage that I hear Dave talk about on his show. You've got to put down the Kool-Aid a little bit because I'm telling you, debt is something we all work with. As I've already mentioned to you, my insurance rates are substantially lower because I have good credit. And by the way, your credit score does not go to zero when you pay everything off. I have quite a number of clients that owe nobody anything because of my biggest advice, I've already told you, is that when people retire, I want them debt-free. You've got enough to worry about that you don't need to worry about paying a mortgage to somebody. So I want you completely debt-free when you're retired. So, And I can tell you, my, my clients who are all debt-free don't have any trouble buying cars or anything else. Um, you know, And when they go get their insurance rates, they're always A1 credit for everything. So it is, it's, it's just because you're debt-free and have nobody anything, you probably still have enough history that your credit score is going to be through the roof and probably be in the 800 range. So don't think that you're going to zero when you're debt-free. There, there's a lot of people, I mean, I have, um, 
had a very successful land real estate guy who owned beach property, mountain property. And um, one of the things when they went and pulled, did some life insurance and other things, they wanted to go pull his credit rating because they're doing that more and more often. This is a guy who hadn't owed money for probably the last decade to 20 years he's had that. He's been so successful. He still had great credit. So I don't believe, I mean, the, the people, if you're talking about going to zero, you're going off the grid. That's, that's the type of people that are, don't want the government to know who they are, that are stocking up some water, some pinto beans, and they're, you know, they're, they're digging in for, to, in case the world comes to an end. And I, I just don't think you want to fall off the grid. I think you want to just understand that credit is a tool. And I am by no means a pusher of debt. Um, I pay off my credit cards on a monthly basis, but I do probably get back between $600 to $1,200 a year in rebates and, and other things that I get from my credit score, you know, my, my credit cards that I use. Also, it, it, my, my house, I'm on a 15-year mortgage right now. We'll have it paid off within 10 years. So I am by no means a person out there pushing people to be in debt. So I appreciate the feedback. I really do. I love you guys listening. I hope Josh... Um, keeps listening. I hope Chipper keeps listening because I'm a big fan of Dave's as well. But I got to tell you, he's, you know, we're trying to be different than Dave Ramsey. We're trying to go beyond common sense, help you with your personal finance issues. And, and, you know, and I'm counting on people listening to this show to be the type of people who are on that track to financial independence. I'm not looking for the people who are um, the, the car accident waiting to happen that can't defer gratification. But I really appreciate it. I think the show has gone way long now, but I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate the comments. Please go out there and you know write us a comment on iTunes. That always helps us stay relevant, keeps us in front of people without your help because I don't have any corporate sponsorship. I don't have a big company out there pushing us. This is grassroots that's going on right now. You guys have made us successful, and I need your help to keep it going. So, so thanks so much for listening. You can write the show at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. You can also go to our website at money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in about a week, and thanks again for your help. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 